Well, good morning. It's good to see you again. I'm Chris. I am here uh, for the third time to preach. Hopefully it's not the third strike, uh, but uh, good to be with you. Hey, this coming four weeks, Pastor Ron, Marilyn are here. Uh, Pastor Ron is going to be uh, preaching. Uh, So as many of you know, most of you, that Pastor Ron was the pastor here at Machias. And so he'll be bringing the word, and, and those will be uh, some good times. Hey, how many of you know uh, Rick and Sue Chabot? Chabot? Okay. Some of you used to go to church here. Uh, Want to bring greetings from them. They live on Camino Island now. Machias's loss was Camino Chapel's gain a number of years ago. In fact, he's, he, uh, in our, in our uh, senior adult group, he brings the uh, mechanical tip every, they meet every, uh, t- every other week. He always comes up front and, and gives, a, gives a, a tip for, for the elderly about their car, how to insulate whatever this or that. And uh, uh, I had mentioned in a sermon that I hated mowing my yard. And um, this was kind of cool. Uh, um, Rick... He took it to heart, and he called me up and says, hey, are you available on Tuesday? Sure. He says, I want you, I'm going to take you for a drive. Went for a drive, drove up to Linden to the John Deere place, and he bought me a riding lawnmower. And I used to hate mowing the yard. Now I just pray for the grass to grow. I mean, I'm out there, and I just, it is, it's like those little cars down at Disneyland, you know, when you were a kid getting out on that. And so um, uh, that's the kind of guy that Rick is and uh, so he just uh, he's serving the Lord, going on and uh, in, in maturing in Christ. It's really neat to see. Well, um, I was here uh, a month ago, as I mentioned, and we talked about the sovereignty of God. It was interesting when one of you guys here uh, said they remembered the sermon, which is amazing because I don't remember my own sermon by like three o'clock in the afternoon. When I get up from my nap, it's like gone, uh, unless I've made some, you know, some really bad uh, errors in it. Then I, I think about it for years later. But uh, this is kind of a continuation. So if you'll open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. If you've got a phone, just type it on the browser. Daniel 4, we're right back here. We want to talk about and consider the sovereignty of God. So Father God, open your word to us, Lord. You, you, your word is so powerful. It just does something to us. And uh, it, it, it draws us to Christ through faith. We don't know you, Lord, through faith in what your son Jesus did on the cross and dying for our sins, rising again from the third day. We're drawn to him through your word, and then we're drawn to grow deeper in our walk with you. So, Lord, do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to talk about the sovereignty of God and how it relates to the smallness of man and the bigness of God, the smallness of man or humanity and the bigness of God. Now, in chapter 4, kind of rehearse or paraphrase uh, from last time I was here. King Nebuchadnezzar is the big gun of the world at that time. He is the dictator of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, This is 6th century B.C. 
just rules the civilized world, couldn't be better on his game. And in his arrogance, God brings him down, and for seven years, he, he's insane. And he's out in the woods and out in the field just like an animal. Um, you've heard of werewolves in London. This is werewolves in Babylon. Uh, he, he, he just, that whole illness of mental illness of thinking he was an animal. And at the end of that seven years, uh, he humbles himself and, and sees God in a new way and his, his sanity is restored. And what we're going to look at today is just verse 35 but I want to I pick up in verse 34 and, and kind of set, it kind of sets the scene for a statement or a series of statements that Nebuchadnezzar makes. It's just really amazing for this pagan polytheist, polytheism, many gods, to come to understand the one true God. So uh, picking up in verse 34, at the end of the days, and what that's in reference to is the end of the seven years, of his mental illness, Nebuchadnezzar, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Then verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What we're seeing here and what I think we need to grow in our walk with Christ is to, to find comfort in the infinite gap between God and ourselves. That gap is immeasurable. Now today, we want to we we kind of span the gap. We don't like many people today in our culture. They don't like that infinite gap. In fact, I was just reading recently of a, a, a kind of a, I don't know, a popular statement on social media right now. Uh, maybe you've heard it where they say, be your own hero. See, exalting ourselves, be your own hero. I thought about that. I, thought, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but that scares me to death. I don't want to try to be my own hero. Think about the pressure. I, I got enough pressures in my life, and it makes me anxious to think, you know, to somehow be my own hero. Now, after King Nebuchadnezzar gets this beat down, he comes to understand that he is not the hero of his own story. You know, I praise the Most High, as we read. And he begins to see his own smallness, and, and, and broadly speaking, the smallness of man. So go back and look at the first part of verse 35, where Nebuchadnezzar comes to this understanding that all, that's everyone, the great people that we admire in history, past, in our present, and of course in the future, all the inhabitants of the earth are as accounted as nothing. Now this doesn't mean that we are counted as nothing to God. It, that, that, that's not what he means. We all, because we're created in God's image, we have value. And really our value comes not from who we are, but who God is and his grace and love for us. 
And, and if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, did you know God loves you? You may have been taught or been uh, uh, kind of convinced that, that God is this uh, mean God that doesn't want anyone to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish. And he's saying, hey, come to know my son Jesus as your Savior. Come and accept the forgiveness that is freely given in him and, and, and be saved from the penalty of your sins. So it's not that God accounts us as nothing like we're worthless. The worth that we have is in God and his creating us. What he means here is that we are counted as nothing in comparison to God's greatness. The infinite gap. The infinite gap between God and ourselves. The prophet Isaiah wrote this. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. The infinite gap between God and ourselves. And it's, it's foolishness, talking about the smallness of, of man, the smallest, smallness of humanity. It's foolishness to raise ourselves up to God's level. Think about this modern-day self-esteem cult a little bit. We've had a couple of decades, maybe four as much, of, of really this philosophy of let's, let's tell our children that they can be anything they want to be. They can do whatever they want to do. And somehow we think that will make them feel uh, worthy and it'll bring health to them and it'll bring them into a healthy adulthood. I want to present to you that it's just the opposite. I think it brings an unhealthy adulthood. To think I can be whatever I want to be or whatever I set my mind to. You know, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be um, the next Chuck Swindoll. Anybody know who Chuck Swindoll is? Okay. He, he was sort of this, in that day, in the oh, 70s, 80s, he was in his prime, and then on into the 90s. He, he was like the greatest preacher uh, in our time, he was at Fullerton Evangelical Free Church. He was on the radio every day. I used to listen to him on the radio, and I, I would try to copy some of what he, how he would preach. Uh, a number, and I thought, you know what? If I just set my mind to it, I think I could be the next Chuck Swindoll. He'll handle the baton onto me. Isn't that arrogant? And so I was fine-tuning my craft and preaching. And, and I thought, someday I'm going to get my big break because I, I'm set my mind to it. I can be whatever I want to, want to be. And one day, our church got a phone call uh, from a radio station. They said, we want to meet with your leadership uh, because uh, we, we have some ideas about uh, Chris coming on the radio. And I thought, all right, this is, this is my big break. Now, it was a radio station on Whidbey Island that about 30 people... Here, you know, can, can get it on the radio dial. But I thought, you know, you got to start somewhere. All right, here we go. And they come and, came and met with the leadership. And, uh, um, and I was there. And, and they, they, I remember them saying, Chris, we, we at the radio station, uh, we have heard you preach. And we, we, we just really like how you preach. And, and we feel you have a message that people need to hear. I thought, oh, wow, this is, this is awesome. Well, anyway, make, kind of closing that part of the story off, uh, they said, um, we want you, but you guys got to sell advertising. 
for, for your half hour that you're going to be on the air and, and the leadership. And I agree, I'm, we're not in the advertising business, you know, uh, signing up, you know, buy this soap and you'll be more spiritual or whatever. So we declined. And I thought, oh, my big break was passed. They wanted me. So about three months later, in the local paper, that's the Stanwood Camino News. Um, I mean, Stanwood Camino News, it's got like four pages in it, and, and they print any story, you know, Aunt Mabel's cat is missing, whatever. Everything's in there, but they had this big story on the church down the road, and the church down the road was going to go on that same radio station, and I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. I read the quote from the pastor, and he said, the radio station came to me, and they said that they really liked my preaching. They thought I had a message for people. I thought, oh. They just wanted some ads to be sold and fill up a half hour. And, and that realization, you know what? I'm not going to be the next Chuck Swindoll. I'm just me. I'm just a guy. I'm just Chris. And, and, we, and this sense of we can do anything, this self-esteem cult, I think it's unhealthy. I think we need to acknowledge our smallness without Christ. You know, two things result. When we follow this, you can be anything you set your mind to. Number one is a false and frail ego. And number two, an immense pressure to perform. Think about this. A false and frail ego uh, leading to deep disappointment in ourselves. Haven't you talked to people who bought into, I can become anything I want to be. I, I, I can do whatever I want to do. And when they, they progress through life, things don't quite line up, and, and they, they can't adapt. And, and they're, they're in depression because of disappointment in themselves. And of course, the immense pressure to perform leads to this anxiety and exhaustion. You know, why are people stressed out today? I think a lot of it is two or three, four decades of you can be anything you want to be, and people are carrying around heavy burdens, not recognizing that, that in and of ourselves we are very small and that we are in need. If, for instance, any contractors here, anybody like heavy equipment or anything like that, just think about... Uh, in fact, there's a house going in two doors fr down from us, and my grandson, when he's over, he, he's into the three T's, you know, trucks, trains, and tractors. And uh, we go over there, and we watch the big um, excavator, you know, digging out the septic and the, and the foundation for the house. There are people that spiritually, and talking about, you know, we as human beings, they're, they're, they're doing their work not with the excavator, but they're out there with the pick and shovel. That's tremendous pressure. It's exhausting. It's tiring. You get blisters. You get sore muscles. People are trying to live this life thinking, I, I can do this on my own. Yeah, they make some progress, but they're just pick and shoveling their life. We're small. I have this saying in the front inside cover I wrote probably six months ago, and I read it every morning. I wrote this. Every time I open up to do my prayers, it's right there on the left. I wrote, I am flawed, but Christ is my righteousness. I am frail, but Christ is my strength. Today, do you feel flawed? First of all, welcome to the human race. Welcome to the club. If you trust Christ as your Savior, or if you already have, uh, you are righteous. You feel frail today. Like, man, it just, 
I thought this marriage would be different. And, and, and it's been a struggle, or, or it was dissolved, it, 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 it didn't carry through, or I thought this was the job that I would, could really succeed, and, and I've been passed over for promotions, or, or, or I thought my health would last into my senior years, and I've got these struggles. Do you feel frail? Let me tell you, Christ is your strength. Not that he's, you know, not, this is not a health and wealth gospel thing. It's just simply that Christ gives us strength to adapt to whatever we're facing. He gives us grace to live in joy when the world would say, I, I don't understand how you can even have a smile on your face. We're small, but that's a good thing to come to that understanding. It's a good thing. Now let's look at King Nebuchadnezzar's second conclusion. He began to understand not only his own smallness, but the bigness of God. That's the second part of verse 35. Nebuchadnezzar said, He, God, does according to his will among the host of heaven, the angelic beings, and among the inhabitants of the earth, And none can stay his hand. That's literally, none can strike his hand. I remember my mom, whether this is good or bad or anything, but, you know, I'd I'd reach for a cookie before dinner, and and this is back in the 60s. She'd strike my hand and say, hey, I'm I'm rejecting your forward movement. She was staying my hand. No one can, can... can restrict or deny God's forward movement. No one can strike his hand. No one can stay his hand. And none can say to him, what have you done? You see, no one has the right to question God's actions. We are too finite. We don't have enough wisdom to understand God's wisdom because God's wisdom is higher than our wisdom. And God says to Job, hey, you know, have you ever read the Old Testament book of Job? God says, you know, you weren't around when I created the world. You know, you really don't have a right to ask questions. Now, you might say, but what about the Psalms? There's a lot of writing in there where they question God. Why have you forsaken me, God, and and other psalms? Understand that those are not questions, intellectual questions. They're emotional questions. In their times in your life when you are struggling, you're going through suffering, God says, hey, I I can handle your, your emotional just cries. Lord, I feel all alone. What, why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? That's that broken heart. And God says, hey, let me heal that heart. Trust me. You, you can ask those questions. But it's trusting God's wisdom where we don't ask, what have you done? I don't, I don't trust you. I doubt that you're good. I doubt that you are holy. So not only is it unhealthy to raise ourselves up to God's level, But it's also unhealthy to lower God to our level. Years ago, I went to Rome, and I I took a a tour of the Vatican. Now, the Vatican is kind of the headquarters of the Roman Catholic Church. That was, I don't know, a weird experience going through the Vatican. I mean, it was sort of like a religious Disneyland, all these sculptures and, and all these paintings that you've seen, you know, in books. And, and they had a whole hallway of these big tapestry rugs. They were gigantic. And, and at, towards the end of the tour, you kind of get to the, to the big deal, and that is to go to the, into the Sistine Chapel. 
Sistine Chapel's on the second floor, and it's sort of the chapel of the, the, the Pope himself. He, he's kind of down on the same, he's on the same level, his little apartment's over here. And you go into the Sistine Chapel, and the Sistine Chapel uh, is known for the painted ceiling, Michelangelo in the 16th century, all these incredible paintings. I mean, you get a sore neck just looking up there. They have these Swiss guards. It seemed to me their only job was about every five minutes to go, shh, shh, because you're not supposed to talk in there. And it's, it's, it's really weird. It's real quiet after they shush you, you know, because they got the big hats and the whole deal. And shh, and then it starts to build you. Oh, look at this, look at that. And shh, you know, that, that's their full-time job is shushing people. Um, but anyway, you look up there, and there's, there, there's all these biblical stories that Michelangelo painted on a scaffolding. He was, he was like horizontal when he painted it. Um, and one of them is the creation of man, the creation of Adam. And it's kind of a famous painting, if you've seen it. You know where, where they're, they're, they're just not quite touching, and there's Adam. Now, you look at Adam there, uh, just a um, little caveat there, it's R-rated. Um, he's unclothed. Okay, but just this perfect specimen of a man. Just he's got a full head of hair too. He just looks totally awesome. And there he is. He's muscular. And God's the Father's created now. Now this is what's strange. God the Father. Okay, let's talk about. Him. First of all, don't make any graven image. God is a spirit. But they've got him as this. Again, you got you've got. Um, Adam, sort of, you know, the starting linebacker for the Washington Huskies in the prime. You've got God the Father is kind of this old guy. He's got this scraggly gray beard and, and hair, um, a little bit overweight. He's kind of laying there. He's propped up by all these little cherub, these naked angels in this red rug kind of holding him up, your blanket type thing. And he's wearing what, what looks like, I don't know, to me it's like a white hospital gown in the painting. And, and I think about that. I still think about that day when I looked at that. I said, you know what? That's, that's, it, it seems to me bringing God down is this is the old grandfather. Don't you know people, you know, the big dude in the sky or grandpa in the heavens, you know, that where, where God is brought down. And as our view of God starts to diminish, we have less and less confidence in him and therefore less and less confidence to live life in the challenges that are thrown our way. Think about just three or four of these statements, and, and I want to kind of define what has been diminished about God. And I, boy, you know, I wrote these down because a lot of these I've said. Here's one. God is trying to do the best he can, but he must not understand how much this situation hurts me. That's diminishing the knowledge of God. God just doesn't understand. How about this one? If God would just change his mind, he would relieve me of this suffering instead of letting, me ta letting it take its course. That's that change of mind. That's diminishing the immutability of God, immutability, his unchangeable nature. He doesn't flip-flop all over the place. A third one. God is fickle in his compassion towards people. Otherwise, he would not allow me to go through this trial. That's diminishing the love of God. Finally, God isn't in complete control or he would change the situation so that I would be relieved of my pain. That's diminishing what we've been talking about, the sovereignty of God. That God really isn't in control. 
Now, fortunately, the true God, the God of the Bible, is in complete control. And he's in control over all events and all people. You got that? All events, past, present, and future, and all people. And he does this either directly or indirectly. Over all good things, any good thing that's ever happened in your life or mine, God is in direct control. James says, all good things come down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow. He's not, again, he's not shifting over, he's not double-minded. All good things come from God and his direct control. All bad things come from God's indirect control. He's not responsible for it, but he allows it to happen as we progress along to a greater purpose of what God is bringing about in our life, which is ultimately to be conformed into the image of Christ. Let me give you an example of God's indirect control, the greatest example in Scripture. This is in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter preaching to the Jewish crowd on Pentecost. And he's talking about God's ultimate control over Jesus dying on the cross and human responsibility as well. So this is God's indirect control. Peter says, This man Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Did you know that wasn't some random thing that Jesus went to the cross? It was by God's purpose, he said, set purpose, in foreknowledge. Years ago, I, I saw a painting. And I, it was a painting of two Roman soldiers uh, taking Jesus to the cross. I looked in and said, okay, yeah, it's, they're getting ready to hang him on the cross. I get that. But then I started looking at it closer, and there was something very, very strange in that painting. And this was what I recognized. So you've got the two Roman soldiers holding Jesus' arms, and Jesus is straining forward towards the cross. You see, it, this is all part of God's purpose and foreknowledge. This is his plan. So that's, that's God's control. However, this indirect control, so let me repeat that line again and then the second line of Peter. The, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you talking to those Jewish leaders, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Do you see how God works? He's got a set purpose and foreknowledge. However, it's the Jewish leaders that were responsible and Pilate, the Romans, and all that were involved in nailing Jesus to the cross. So what are you facing today that is causing discontent discomfort or even pain to, to you. See, comfort comes in trusting in the sovereign God, not blaming him. And maybe it's something just completely outside of your control. It's not because, you know, sometimes pain comes in our life by our own bad decisions. Sometimes it's the bad decisions of others. And third, it's sometimes just being in this messed up fallen world. Like our outward bodies are wasting away. Maybe we're facing cancer or an illness. And it's, it's a part of the, the, how the whole universe fell when Adam and Eve sinned, our, our first humans. And so, so what we need to do is to come back and say, God is not causing this in my life, but I am trusting the God that controls all things, my sovereign God. I'm trusting him to lead me to a higher purpose in the midst of this. 
I got a daughter that went through a divorce, not her decision. She was here through uh, the first time I was here. Some of you met my daughter Molly, my two grandkids. She's a single mom. She's been now, you know, single mom for seven years. And uh, the spiritual growth in her life from before and now, I, I see God's set purpose and foreknowledge. I see he, he, he didn't cause the divorce, but he allowed it in this bigger plan, her growth spiritually. So I don't know what you're going through. You might realize, you might think, man, remember last month I was here, I said, you know, sometimes we discover that rock bottom actually has a trap door. Remember that? <laughs> Chris, we don't remember past sermons. I don't hardly, but I do remember that. You may have gone through the trap door and you said, I you're wondering if there's a second trap door under the trap door of rock bottom. In Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, do you realize that God hasn't said, he's not, you know that, that little kid in Home Alone, where <gasps> that look, he's not in heaven, <gasps> he fell through the trap door, what are we going to do now, Holy Spirit? He said, all right, that's step two, we're moving, it's painful, and hey, listen, his heart hurts, his heart is hurting for you if you're going through suffering. Jesus is able to sympathize with us. He's gone through the same things as a man. And so he's hurting, but, but he's saying, we've got to keep moving forward because there's this great plan coming down in the future of what God's going to do to make us more like Jesus. So comfort comes in trusting God as our sovereign king. Also, let me talk a little bit about this. You know, Maybe I could share it this way. 40 years ago, this would be the late, the late 70s, early 80s. I, uh, I lived in Oregon, and I was a Portland Trailblazer fan, a diehard fan. In fact, uh, one night, um, Joyce and I were in bed, and I used to listen to the radio, and uh, the Trailblazers were down by two, and with like one second left, Billy Ray Bates, I don't know if you know that name, any diehard Trailblazer fans, you said not on your life. I know, okay. Uh, anyway, uh, he hit a three, and they won. I jumped up off the bed. We were newlyweds. And when I came down, I completely broke the bed. You know, the wood slats, they just cracked. And, and, and um, I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Joy says, I was, I was banned from Trailblazer radio games in bed anymore, but I don't know if Joyce remember this, but we took some teenagers in our youth group that time. Uh, we, we, uh, we were volunteering to help with the kids. We went up to Portland, in Salem, to a trailblazer game, and so I, we, we got tickets for the eh, six or seven kids, Joyce and I, and uh, I bought the cheapest tickets you could buy. Literally, my back, the back of the wall, our seats were, it felt like it was like the back wall of the Rose Garden. The, you know, they call the nosebleed section. You know you're up high when the concessions guy comes by and says, get your oxygen tank, get right here, get your oxygen tank. I mean, we were way up there. And I came really early. We came to watch him warm up. And, and, and they're down on the court, and they are just, you know, just so small down there. And this is back before security issues and all that. You could actually uh, walk down to the floor and stand along the floor and watch them warm up. I said, I want to go down there. Now, I, here I am. I'm up here and high elevations. And I come down. And the closer I get to the players, 
the bigger they become. Just, you know. And, and there's a spiritual truth there. You see, the closer you get to God, the bigger he becomes. When we're far away from him and we're living our life way out there somewhere, God seems really small. But I want to tell you, you get close to God. And what I'm talking about is getting close through, you know, getting into his word to understand his attributes. You know that class coming up, how to study the Bible, that's, that's going to, I hope you consider taking that. You're going to learn how to learn who God is. Because you see, the written word reveals the living word, Jesus. When you study the Bible, you're going to study Jesus. Because from Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Jesus. Do you know that he said to the Pharisees, he said, you study the scriptures. During that time, what was the scriptures? The Old Testament. You study the scriptures that you think by them you can have eternal life. But I tell you, the scriptures, they speak of me, Jesus said. Genesis to Revelation. And that class will help you. And as you study God's word, you learn of him. You learn of Jesus. And then you, in prayer, you ask God, God, bring about just a day-to-day awareness, the mind of Christ in who you are and how you're going to live your life out in me. And then through trusting God through the experiences of life. Bible study. A strong prayer life. I don't talk about, I'm not saying, you know, hours a day. But I really think if you, if you commit to just even five or ten minutes. See, I, I'm really an advocate of, of just consistency. Uh, I've talked to people that said, you know, I, I, I wanted to start daily devotions. But I quit. And I said, well, tell me about it. Well, you know, they'll say, you know, well, the first day I read the book of John, the second day I read, you know, the book of Romans, and I just didn't have any time. I'm kind of more for a verse or two, pray about it, think about it, apply it to your life, and keep at it, line upon line, precept upon precept every day. We can do this. Then we ask God to, to, to show us how to live out that life and who he is and how he wants to work and transform us. And so as we get closer to God, he just, he gets bigger and bigger. And the bigger he gets, of course, the smaller we become aware of ourselves, the infinite gap. And I want to tell you, believe it or not, and I know this is anti-culture, our own smallness and recognizing God's bigness is a good place to be. Because now the pressure's not on me. It's the power of Christ, this big God who dwells within me, if I've trusted him, his life living through me. So let me leave you with a high and holy prayer from Nehemiah in chapter 9. He said this, and then we will pray together. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it. You made the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Will you pray with me? Let me just take a moment before we do pray. This majestic God created the heavens, everything on the earth, under the earth, in the waters, the seas. It's amazing, but he loves you and me. It's amazing. 
If you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe you, you came to church kind of thinking about it. Got up this morning and you thought, you know, I, I need some help. I want to tell you, this, this God who has made it all, he wants to intervene in your life. First and foremost, here's what God wants to do. He wants to deal with the sin problem in your life and mine. That's, 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 what he, that's where it all gets started. And when Jesus, his son, came, took on human flesh, dwelt among us, then he died on the cross, not just randomly. He died, as we talked about, God's set purpose and foreknowledge, responsibility on those who hung him on the cross, but God's ultimate will. He died in our place. You say, how could one person die for all of us? Because he's God. Remember, an infinite God can die for an infinite amount of people. And guess what? Three days later, he rose from the dead. Yeah, that's true. So today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, that's the first step. You just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me with the mess I am. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross and thank you for the hope that you rose, your body, you rose bodily from the dead. And that, that's that hope that I too will rise one day. I now give you my life. Thank you for forgiving me and loving me. You know, if you prayed that prayer, tell someone, maybe one of the elders of the church, you saw Bill was up here earlier, there's John. There's others here that would love to help you grow. If you do know Christ right now, and if you were going through a, a difficult time, will you just in your heart right now just say, Father God, I know you are the high and holy one. I know that you have given life to everything. And since Jesus died for me, how much more will he live for me? He's going to live his life through me. And so it's really a matter of trusting the sovereignty of God, his ultimate control, and recognizing how big he is in his wisdom, in his love, in his knowledge, in his power. And he wants to live his life out in us. So just simply say, God, I give you this situation. Just name the situation. I give you this friction in this relationship. I give you this this unemployment. I give you uh, my physical illness I'm dealing with. I, I, I give you my job that I'm struggling under the pressure. Whatever it is to say, God, I am trusting you today. I don't like the pain, but I know you're bringing about something. The greatest thing that can happen in our lives is to become more like Jesus. Father God, we worship you today. We come before you as small people in desperate, desperate need. And you are so big. And you, in Christ alone, can meet every one of our needs. Not necessarily removing the suffering or the trial, giving us the grace and strength to be more than conquerors in the midst of that. Thank you, God, that you are the God of all comfort. We want to grow in our trust in you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.